This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. Good morning. Words of integration and guidance, Catherine Matthews. Advent is a time of waiting and preparation, a time pregnant with hope, and here at its midpoint, we watch and listen as Mary and Elizabeth, two ordinary pregnant women in their most extraordinary time and circumstances, and on the brink of greatness, are tending first to their relationship with each other and with God. So like women in every place and time, they spend together keeping each other company, learning and praying, and perhaps laughing together as they faced first-time childbirth and motherhood. Henry Nowen sees all this within a larger picture, where neither woman has to wait alone for the ordinary personal experience of motherhood or the extraordinary world-changing events to unfold slowly as pregnancies do. Thus, God's most radical intervention into history was listened to and received in community. In this Advent season, we in the church are keenly aware that we wait in community for the promises of God to unfold in our lives, too. A good friend of mine mentioned to me the other day as she talked about struggling with world events and personal heartaches that she needed to find a church. I need community, she said, simply. In community, we hold one another up when one of us needs encouragement or support. We help one another search for meaning, rejoice with another, walk alongside one another. And just as Elizabeth must have listened to Mary and helped her prepare for what was to come, we help one another work things out. Sometimes we just sit in the dark, quiet, and wait together, trusting in the promises of God, listening for a word from the still-speaking God. Words of Scripture. A reading of Scripture from Psalm 146, verses 5 through 10, is rendered by Nan Merrill. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Beloved whose trust is in you, O divine lover, who gave, us, who gave birth to the universe, the heavens, earth, and sea, and all that is within them, who is ever faithful, bringing balance and harmony to earth, nourishment to body and soul. You free us from the bonds of fear. You give us insight to those who would see. You lift up the faint-hearted, giving support to those who weep, you watch over those on journey, sending guides and angels to lead the way. Oh, that we might become beacons of light to those in darkness. May you, who live forever in our hearts, loose the fetters of fear that bind us, that we might praise you always with free and joyful song. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. The Holy Gospel according to Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, or sang, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry 
with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has remembered his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. So we have a pet rabbit at our house, Clementine. And Clementine lives in a little hutch in the backyard. It's got one section that's kind of all enclosed and quiet with hay and all that, and another section that's open and, you know, has wire and he can see the world. Um, And when the weather is nice, uh, we're outside a lot, and so we see and interact with Clem, as we call him, and uh, we'll even take him out of the cage from time to time and let him run around the yard, and amazingly, he doesn't run off. He guess he likes us. And he hangs out in the yard, he can just (laughs) roll around in the grass and, you know, be a be a happy rabbit. But this time of year, it's a little tougher because we're not outside as much and we don't let him outside of his cage. So a pretty bleak time to be Clementine when the weather turns. Clementine, who's a male rabbit with a girl's name. Josephine named him. Of course, Christy has gotten a soft heart and brought him in the house uh, this winter so far, so uh, I wasn't going to share that because that kind of ruins, <laughs> ruins my illustration, but uh, we, we've had a soft heart for Clementine. But it can be a tough time of year, and I'm wondering uh, how, how you all are feeling. How are people doing right now? You want an answer? <laughs> uh, you can, you know, sure. <laughs> I only want to hear from you if you're not doing well. If you're happy, then just keep that to yourself. We do have the candle of joy. That's a, you know, that's enough. Uh, you know, but the, you know, we, the snow is nice, right? It's pretty. Who's excited about the snow? Anyone? Who's not excited about the snow? All right, so a few more are not excited about the snow. And it's kind of that gray time of year, right? When we kind of forget what blue skies are like. And the snow is nice right now, but in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, it might begin to feel differently. So the weather doesn't necessarily help us improve our mood, perhaps. And if you watch the news, you know, that always doesn't help either. It feels like every other day somebody's being appointed to a political office who it seems has the exact opposite qualifications of what you need for that role. Or maybe that's just my reading of it. But maybe there's sports, right? Sports could cheer us up, uh, perhaps, uh, unless you're a fan of a team that maybe a year ago qualified for the college football playoff. But this year, I don't know, did they win any games this year? A couple. I better be careful. (laughs) You know who I'm talking about. But maybe you were hoping your team this year would make the college football playoffs, and you lost twice on the last play of the game. So So perhaps a, a bleak... Time. And so we wonder when things are rough, whether we're Clementine or a person just trying to get on in life, is there room in that space for the things we've talked about as we've lit these candles, for hope, for peace, for joy? 
The spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle notes that happiness and pleasure are things that are dependent on outside circumstances, things happening out there, but that joy arises from within. Joy arises from within. So perhaps joy is possible even in the most bleak or difficult circumstances. In the setting of our scripture reading, the early first century was a bleak time, especially if you were a Jew living in Palestine, such as Jerusalem or in Galilee. Politically, it was difficult. It seemed that Caesar was appointing inept people to his cabinet of the Middle East affairs, uh, left and right. Inept, but also ruthless. Herod was one of the people that he appointed to rule over that region. Herod the Great, and he married ten wives, including the beautiful Hasmonean princess Maryam. And though he loved her passionately, he once suspected her of infidelity and had her executed, along with her two sons. And later, he found out that his favorite son, Antipater, Antipater means against the father, not surprising. He found out that his son, named against the father, was plotting against him. He should have seen that coming. Uh, but he had him executed, along with two of his brothers, for good measure. And on the day that he died, he had 70 Jewish people executed so that there would be mourning and tears in Israel. It was a difficult time. And 99% of the population at this time could be considered poor, according to social historians. And things were even more difficult if you were a woman, and still more so if you were a young woman who was poor, pregnant, and unwed. These were patriarchal times. Patriarchy meaning rule of the father. You break it down into its parts. And it's defined as the nearly universal social system by which men dominate women. And other men too, I suppose. And so at this time, men ruled, men mattered, and men wrote the history books. And the Bible, well, it's a product of its time, and so we see this in the Bible as well. Feminist theologian Mary Daly once speculated on the length of a depatriarchalized Bible. In other words, how long would the Bible be if you took all that patriarchy stuff out? And she said, well, perhaps there would be enough salvageable material to comprise an interesting pamphlet. And so normally when we open the Bible, we hear from men about men. And earlier in our text in Luke, there is, in fact, a man on the scene, Zechariah. And not only is he a man, he's a professionally religious man. He's a priest. And so if Luke was going according to script, he could have just, you know, stopped stuff right there. But what happens to Zechariah earlier in this chapter in Luke? Anybody remember? He can't talk. That's right. He goes mute. He literally loses his voice and cannot speak. And that creates space for the often neglected women to have a voice 
here in this first chapter of Luke. A hint, I believe, in Luke's gospel that the status quo is not safe and that things might be about to be turned on their head. And when we finally are able to hear from the women, what might we expect to hear? Maybe some anger, swearing, a long list of complaints. But what we in fact hear in our text is a song. A song. A song known as the Magnificat comes from the Latin word for magnify. My soul magnifies the Lord. And so we know this song, Mary's song, is the Magnificat. A song of hope, of justice, of things turned upside down. A song of joy. So is joy possible in these bleak conditions? Mary seems to think so. So what can we learn from Mary? Well, we first have to wrestle, I think, through presentations of Mary that the church has created over the years. And by church, I mean men. Mary's usually known or referred to as what? The Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary, referring to how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And according to some church doctrine, she in fact remained a virgin throughout her entire life, even though we know she had other children along the way. So that gets a little confusing. But it's also, uh, according to Catholic doctrine, believed that Mary herself... Her immaculate conception, sometimes we think that's referring to Jesus, but that's actually referring to Mary's own conception. So she too was conceived, according to church doctrine, in an unusual, holy way. And while I don't want to debate the veracity of these doctrines, I think it is worth exploring their ramifications. Episcopal Bishop John Shelby Spong notes that the doctrines of Mary's virginity, her immaculate conception, and her bodily assumption became devices by which celibate males were able to create an ideal of womanhood that would universalize guilt among women. Can you see how that might be so? In other words, if perpetual virginity is the model of womanhood, then he says, at one stroke, every other woman was and is rendered inadequate, incomplete, incompetent. The Belgian Catholic theologian Edward Schillebeeks, once a decent theologian, but he once disastrously exclaimed, it is clear that she, that is Mary, must be a creature of matchless wonder, with whom even the most physically and spiritually beautiful women in the world cannot in any way be compared. You can see how that might have some negative consequences. If there's this impossible example of what it means to be a woman that's always held out. But lest you think that only uh, our Catholic brothers and sisters are holding these views. Evangelicals managed to get in on the patriarchal act as well. You know the Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know? 
Anybody know that song? Of course you know it. If you've had your radio on at all, you know this song. And it's not a bad song, right? It's kind of nice. I mean, it gets you into the Christmas spirit. Well, this song was written, unsurprisingly, by a man. The premise of the song is, Mary, did you know that you were going to be pregnant with this child who was going to do amazing things? And if Mary were to answer, she'd say, well, duh, yeah, the angel literally just told me. (laughs) My friend, the Reverend Shannon Meacham, describes this song as one long mansplaining episode. (laughs) She says, real Mary, unwed teen Mary, is much more real than any of these presentations. We've missed the fact that the news Mary gets is that her body is about to be violated. And she will become pregnant without her consent. She's to carry the child and she is to name him Jesus. She has no choice over her body or even over his name. And not only that, but she'll be culturally shunned in her engagement. As far as she knows when she hears this news, is likely to be called off. And so we need to try to wade through all of these presentations to see the real Mary. And Shannon writes, We so easily make the story of Jesus' conception and birth about starry nights and a beautiful, quiet, sleeping baby and a perfect family. We so easily forget the emphasis that Jesus had a human birth, which means it was very messy. Very, very messy. Jesus was born of a woman, meaning there was bodily fluid and blood and maybe even a bowel movement. There was sweat, there were tears and screams and cow dung. Silent night, my ass. And I don't think she's referring to the donkey that may have been at the scene. She said, but that doesn't appeal to us this time of year. In order to truly appreciate the story, we're told, she wouldn't have broken a sweat, and she would have laid down, popped out the perfectly clean baby, and immediately made tea for her guests. And then pondered all of this in her heart. She says, so let's get it straight, American Christians. For the love of all that is holy, literally, can we stop pressuring each other into pretending that Mary wasn't scared? Can we stop pretending that she didn't know for one second the risks her son would go through? She knew the world better than anyone, and despite all the bullshit she had been put through, not only did she know, she said, yes, God love her. This actual Mary, in her difficult and impossibly bleak situation, says to the angel, let it be. Let it be to me as you have said. She consciously chooses to accept what she was not given a choice in. The spiritual teacher and Jesuit priest Anthony DeMello, you've heard me quote him a few times because he's good. He says, Enlightenment is absolute cooperation with the inevitable. Think about that for a minute. Enlightenment is absolute cooperation with the inevitable. Or as Adi Ashanti put it, enlightenment is when everything within us is in cooperation with the flow of life itself. But so often, we fight that flow. We fight 
what sometimes is inevitable because we imagine our life going a certain direction, going a certain way, and then sometimes there's a left turn we didn't see coming. We say, God, how could you do that? God, how could you allow that? What is happening here? And we fight it. Back in 2012, my wife and I moved our family to Washington, D.C. from a small town up in, well, smallish town, Traverse City up in northern Michigan. And we moved to D.C. with the idea of starting a faith community, sort of like we're, we're doing here. And moving to D.C. was exciting. It's a big city, a lot happening there. Of course, a lot of history right there. Arts, music, all the kind of stuff a big city has to offer. And we imagined we were going to meet people doing interesting things, uh, some working on the Hill, some working in NGOs across the country. And, and that certainly was the case. And while it was challenging, there were certainly a lot of things to enjoy there living in D.C. But then fast forward, less than two years later, summer of 2014, we made the decision to move here to Holland, back to Holland, because it's where we began our married life together. And we moved from a large house in the city in D.C. to a small two-bedroom home out in the country where we began our married life together. And of course, when we got married, there's plenty of space, but now with four kids out here where we can hear the crickets literally, it just felt like a left turn had happened. What is happening, God? This wasn't the plan I had. This wasn't what I was going to do. This wasn't what we were going to do. I think it took me like six months to break out of a funk. But when I was able, like Mary, to come to that place of saying, here is where I am. And here is where God has me. And like Mary, when I could say, God, let it be to me as it is. Then space began to open up for joy and for newness and goodness. And now, of course, I'm so grateful that all has happened as it did happen. And I wouldn't trade the things that are happening in our lives for anything. But often in those moments, we fight it. And so now in this context of Mary accepting what is happening to her, and in the context of friendship with her cousin Elizabeth, and the power of having a friend at times like this cannot be overstated, as we heard read in our words of integration and guidance. Now there is space for joy to arise within Mary. And what comes forth is a song. A song that is beautiful and brave and on fire. A song that is at odds with the whole order of things. A song that is so subversive that it is said that in several countries in the last century, people were outlawed from reading this in public. Sister Elizabeth Johnson says, The Magnificat is a revolutionary song of salvation whose political, economic, and social dimensions cannot be blunted. People in, it, people in need in every society hear a blessing in this canticle. The battered woman, the single parent without resources, those without food on the table or without even a table, the homeless family, the young abandoned to their own devices, the old who are discarded, all are encompassed in the hope that Mary proclaims. 
And this shows that Mary's let it be was not simply passive, but rather created the internal space for joy and hope to arise from within and out of which a vision for a world vastly different than the one she lived in could come forth. A world of justice and peace, a world where oppressive rulers were cast down and the hungry were filled, the very world, the very world that the sun that was growing within her would one day proclaim. I'd like to read a translation of Mary's song from the feminist theologian Dorothy Sola. Dorothy writes, My soul sees the land of freedom, and my spirit will emerge from intimidation. The empty faces of the women will be filled with life, and they will become those expected by generations before us who were sacrificed. God has done great things in me. He casts down the mighty from their thrones and raises up those who have been trampled on. Mercy will appear when the dependent give up their wasted life and learn to live for themselves. This song, which my friend Shannon calls it a war cry, or Dorothy Sola calls it a song of justice for the whole earth, this song sung in a patriarchal society by a poor, pregnant, unwed, unwed teenage girl from a town that the powerful in Rome couldn't even have found on a map. This song, if that doesn't bring a little bit of joy and hope to whatever bleakness you or I might be facing, I'm not sure what will. Is joy possible in these conditions? Mary gives us an emphatic yes. Amen. And namaste. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.